I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to James, the book of James, which is toward the back of our New Testaments. If you've been here with us for the last, actually, 10 weeks, tonight's the 10th week, um, you know we have been walking our way through this letter that's in the very back of your New Testament, the book of James, um, written by early church leader James, writing to a group of Christians that are particularly struggling Um, They're particularly under the pressure of persecution. They're suffering. And he writes them to encourage them really to have a mature and living faith in the very real things that they're experiencing. So tonight we bring that to a conclusion with the final section, James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20. And as is our custom, um, we'll also pair this with a reading from the Psalms, Psalm 124. So would you listen carefully um, to these words in God's word to us and for us tonight? Just a few lines from Psalm 124. Here's what it says. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. The psalmist goes on to say, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Then James chapter five, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask in this moment that you would do the thing that only you can do. We ask by the power of your spirit that you would shine light on these words that are in your word. Lord, that you would shine light on the places in our hearts that are dark and dingy. Lord, that you would use these to great effect in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, to the end, that tonight we'd have great hope in our Lord Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in April of 2016, my wife and I, Mandy, were in Texas visiting some friends. We had lived and done our early years in ministry in Texas. And in April of 2016, 
um, we had gone back to Texas for a weekend to be a part of a wedding celebration of some good friends there. Um, It was also a pretty pivotal moment in Mandy and I's life. You see, while we were there that weekend, kind of late March, early April of 2016, we were also praying and discerning whether or not the Lord was leading us as a family to leave the church where I was serving, it was called Mountain Brook Community Church, to join the church of another church called Redeemer, to begin the process of planting a new church. That new church, by the way, is this church. And as we were discerning whether or not the Lord was leading us to do that, at the same time, some friends that we were staying with in Texas, our friends Danny and Lindsay, they were trying to make sense of a decision that they had had to make. See, Danny and Lindsay, that next day when we would travel back to Birmingham, Danny and Lindsay would go to the church that they had planted a year before to have their final worship service because that church was going to have to close its doors and shut down. It didn't work. And I was talking with Danny and Lindsay about this as Mandy and I were trying to think about our life. And I'll never forget something that Danny said. Danny said to me, and I'm not kidding, he said exactly this. He said, you know what? In the last year and a half, I feel like the Lord has really taught me how to pray. And that's worth it to me. And he said, I think you're going to need to decide if that would be worth it to you. And when he said that, two immediate emotions came into my mind, and I'll be very honest with you. The first one, the first thought, the first feeling I had was, of course that wouldn't be worth it to me. Are you kidding me? My second thought was, man, I would love to be in a place where that would be worth it to me. See, this passage, the way James ends, is a call to prayer, to be the kind of church community that lives a rich, expansive, beautiful life of prayer before one another and before God. Now, I say more rich and more expansive because if your prayers are like mine, often my prayers go something like this. Um, Lord, would you help everything go better for me? But what James is after is something much richer and more beautiful. He's actually after this idea of a life of prayer that would bring the fullness of who we are before God's presence. In all cases, at all times, And this passage in particular, I think, teaches us that a mature faith is a praying faith. James began his book encouraging believers to seek God in prayer for wisdom and trial. And he ends by encouraging them once again to be people who seek God in prayer. So the main thing I want you to hear tonight in the few minutes that we have 
before we celebrate what Christ has done for us here at this table, the main thing I want you to hear tonight is that prayer will be more important than we think. Prayer will be more important than we think. And maybe further, that a mature faith is a praying faith. So let's take a look here. Sorrows and joys is how James begins. So let's take a look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James begins by asking believers to bring the fullness of who they are, the ups and the downs of their life before God's very presence in prayer. If you're suffering, be quick to pray. If you're cheerful, be quick to sing praises. It's another way of thinking of prayer. To not hide when things are difficult. To not do what I typically do when someone asks me how things are going. I do the same thing that you do. I say, fine. But to be honest about sorrow, to be honest about things in our lives that are difficult, and to bring those before his presence in prayer, to even bring the joyful moments of our lives before God and his people in praise. Y'all, I was visiting with a counselor recently, and he was encouraging me that part of what it means to mature in our faith is to be able to live the sorrows, the low points of our lives, to be able to live those honestly, to be able to live the joys of our life, and to be able to embrace those honestly, and to be able to bring the fullness of that experience before God all the time. Here's a question that I was thinking about um, as I worked my way through this text this week. What if everything that is happening in your life and mine, what if all of it is designed by God in order to make us more prayerful? Are you in or are you out for that? The ups and downs of our lives are not necessarily intended to make our lives any easier, obviously. But what if it made us people of deeper prayerfulness? Would that be worth it to you? So after talking about joys and sorrows and bringing those before God's presence in prayer, James turns to an interesting theme. He turns to the theme of sickness and sin. Look with me at verses 14 through 16. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Now, this is an interesting section of scripture because James picks up on a theme that we see throughout the pages of the Bible. And that is the fact that our physical health and our spiritual health are actually connected. That as people, we're whole people, the inner things affect the outer things and the outer things affect the inner things. Now, it's not always obvious how those connections work. And in fact, I would say we're even warned about assuming too much certainty about those connections. So for example, there's this scene in the Gospel of John where everybody's trying to pin whose fault it was, whose sin it was that a certain person was born blind. And Jesus is quick to say, it's nobody's fault. So we can't be too certain about those connections. But the scriptures teach us again and again and again things like this. In the Proverbs, it says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And if you will, that will be healing for your flesh and refreshment for your bones. James goes on to say, when someone is sick, to call the elders of the church, anoint with oil and pray, and these people will actually then be healed. As a side note, our elders actually do this. We go to people's houses with oil and pray for them. If you ever need that, let me know. And James connects this to sinfulness, verse 15, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Y'all, if I'm being really honest, I know that what James is talking about here because sometimes I am sick personally, even physically, of my own sinfulness. And the antidote here that James offers is prayerfulness, in particular, the kind of prayerfulness that confesses sin before God and others quickly. Imagine that. Imagine belonging to a community of faith where you can be honest about your sinfulness where you can hear of the forgiveness that's offered in Jesus, where you can walk the road of repentance with others to the degree to which you begin to be healed from the guilt and shame that you carry. Imagine what that would be like. James is saying that the body of Christ is to be that place. So after talking about sorrows and joys and bringing those before God in prayer, and then after talking about sickness and sin, there's a third piece. James gives us an illustration using this biblical character, Elijah. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, 
and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This illustration that James gives us of Elijah's life is supposed to highlight the value of boldness and persistence in prayer. Elijah prayed and it didn't rain. And then he prayed and it began to rain. In other words, the created order itself is used by God to respond to the prayers of God's servant, Elijah. And again, we start to see here something really mysterious that we see throughout the pages of the scriptures. And the scriptures will teach us the idea that God responds indeed to our prayers. The scriptures will say things to us like we have not because we ask not. At the same time, the scriptures teach us that God works a perfect sovereign plan that nothing can thwart. So what do we do with this tension? I think a helpful way to think about this is the idea of ends and means. See, God has ends, goals, things he plans to do. And he has means, ways he intends to do those things. And the scriptures teach us that God intends to work his perfect will in this world through the persistent, bold prayers of his people. I want you to imagine with me growing in a deep, bold prayerfulness. That prayer is the first thought in your mind rather than the 15th thought. Y'all, I was talking to a mentor in ministry somewhat recently. I was telling him some of the challenges that I'm feeling, particularly at Grace Fellowship in my leadership. Um, I was discussing these things with him, and I'm not joking. Here's what he said to me. He said, well, as you've been thinking about these things and been praying about them, how do you feel like the Lord's leading you? And I said, um, I hadn't thought to pray about it. And I'm a pastor for crying out loud. I expected you to think that was funnier. (laughs) Rather than boldness, persistence in asking God for fill in the blank. I don't even think about that till the 15th or 16th thing. James is asking us to imagine living in such a way where asking God and asking God boldly is our first thought and seeing God respond generously, graciously, sometimes dramatically gets to be our joy to witness. James ends the letter by talking about how beautiful and valuable it is when we see someone wander away from the faith to go and do everything we can to coax them back again. It's a bold move. And it's going to require a deep prayerfulness. But imagine that. Imagine belonging to a community 
that is prayerfully seeking the good of every member of it. Imagine being the kind of person who is prone to wandering, you feel it. And knowing that people are prayerfully seeking and to come and find you. That's what James is talking about here. In other words, James is painting a picture of this mature faith being a praying faith. He's telling us the prayer is going to be so much more deeply important than we think. Now, having said that, I'm keenly aware of something. I'm keenly aware that the majority of you walked into this room this afternoon already kind of knowing you should pray more. In fact, there are probably people in here who feel particularly failing when it comes to prayerfulness. I would know. I'm one of them. So as we prepare to celebrate at this table, I want you to imagine one more thing. I ask you to imagine um, being able to live the joys and sorrows of your life before God's presence in prayer. I ask you to imagine being able to be so deeply honest before each other and before God about your sinfulness so that you can be healed. I ask you to imagine a bold and persistent prayerfulness that seeks God first. The final thing I want you to imagine is I want you to imagine Christ himself and his prayerfulness. So let me paint the picture like this. The scriptures teach us that our Lord Jesus has entered into the situation that we find ourselves in that he's taken on human skin in order that he could experience everything that you have experienced, except he experiences it without sin. The scriptures teach us that Jesus himself endures every trial and every temptation, but he endures those faithfully. And when you are looking and observing and reading about Jesus' life in the scriptures, you see him bringing the joys of his life There are times where he will celebrate with joy the things that he sees in his disciples or in the crowds or before God. But you also see him bring deep sorrows. It's from the cross that Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The scriptures teach us that this man of sorrows, Jesus, goes to the cross for the joy set before him. When we see Jesus, we see him constantly withdrawing to quiet places in order to be alone with the Father in prayer. In other words, we see Jesus as a model of this maturing, praying faith. And the truth of the gospel is that Jesus' maturity in prayer, in your union with him, gets to be yours. We see Jesus, scriptures teach, finishing the work that he has started in you and me, transforming us from one degree of glory to another until we are fully and finally healed and cleansed forever from sin and we're finally free from sorrows.
And as if none of these things were enough. The scriptures teach us that even in this moment, even now, that our Lord Jesus prays for us. The scriptures teach us that Jesus, when he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, he took up a throne at the right hand of God the Father to do two things. One, to rule the universe, to uphold the universe by the word of his power. And secondly, to live to make intercession for you and for me. I want to just tell you something. Jesus Christ prays for you. To put it another way, Jesus Christ prays for you. To put it another way, Jesus Christ prays for you. In other words, prayer is more important than we think. And if all these things are true about Jesus, then you are and I are invited into something rich, something deeply rewarding and satisfying. Let's pray. Lord, as we have seen throughout this letter, these things are easier to talk about from a pulpit than to live in the very real things in our lives. So Lord, I pray that the union that we have with you, Lord, the fellowship we have in your spirit, Lord, the sympathetic high priest that you are in our every weakness, the truths here in this text, Lord, would do their work in our hearts and in our lives. For the glory of your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.